Welcome to the Automation Unplugged podcast, the podcast for technology professionals featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. Today we recorded our 100th episode of Automation Unplugged. I'd like to give a special thank you to all of our viewers and listeners for supporting us through this wild ride. We wouldn't be here creating this content for you if you weren't out there listening and cheering us on. For show 100, we're featuring owner and founder Lee Travis of y Pliance, a custom integration firm with two locations, one in Bellevue, Washington, and the other in Scottsdale, Arizona. y Pliance is a 35-employee firm with revenues of $5 million in 2019. Lee is a longtime industry veteran that was named Integrator of the Year for 2019 by the Consumer Technology Association at CES. Why Pliance's unique approach to marketing efforts includes a dynamic video portfolio, exciting showcase events, and a sister company, Obot Electric, that offers a seamless experience for its clients. We live streamed this interview on our One Firefly Facebook page on Wednesday, February 26, 2020 at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. In this conversation, we discuss Lee's process for integrating electrical contracting in his business, challenges and advantages to operating in two different markets, Washington State and Arizona, the importance and benefits of being part of a buying group such as ProSource, the future of 5G and how it might impact the custom integration industry. I really enjoyed this conversation and hope you do as well. Let's jump into my interview with Lee Travis. There he is. Oh, was that today? Yes, it's right now. <laughs> were, were you busy texting? <laughs> Sorry, I was just I was just working. I just I, I forgot that was today, but let, let's do it. Seems like as good a time as any. Well, your 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 office there seems to be perfectly decorated with 100s. Oh, yeah. So is that just by accident? I, I don't know. It's where did that come from? Uh, I don't know. When these things were. All right. Woo. All right. That's awesome. That is, that is fun. Well, Lee, how are you doing, sir? Oh, what do we got Good, there? How are you? Oh, there's all these, uh, I don't know. My desk just looks like somebody threw up one hundreds. It's got one hundreds everywhere. I was hoping <laughs> no. they were a hundred dollar casino chips, but they're just actually paper. That, that is funny. And, uh, I'm going to put, and what I can do here in our little software environment, Lee, is I can, any, any comments that are coming to us live on our Facebook page, I can put them on the screen here. Oh no. So yeah, exactly. It is dangerous. I, I is do dangerous. have to do some auditing and filtering. So you may want uh, to proof some of that stuff. I, I, I will proof it, but here Jordan is, you know, Jordan, he's saying hi. And, uh, hey, Jordan. you got Melissa. Uh, no, this is Stephanie. She's saying show 100. Can't believe it. And, uh, here's someone else that, you know, this is Kendall. She said, there you go. There's, there's the 100. That's for Kendall. Excited to have Lee join us. Hi, Kendall. And all sorts, of, I'm gonna, I'll put more comments up on the screen. If you're out there watching live, uh, certainly drop a comment in. Tell us what you're, where you're coming to us from. And, uh, you know, we're going to planning on a fun conversation here with Lee. So feel free to interact. Please do so. Just but Lee, some. Easy with the gongs. Yeah, easy. Well, I, again, we'll get back to that filtering. Only, uh, uh, depends how I feel as we go forward, whether I put okay. some of the gong questions up on the screen. Um, 
All right. So Lee, some folks listening and or watching may not know you, may not know your background. And so I always like to start there, uh, if you don't mind, and maybe just tell a little bit of your background and your story, how you came to being the the dude running uh, White Plants out of Seattle. Uh, so the dude story. So uh, if we go way, way back, I started out in car audio in 1987. I was a uh, 18-year-old that loved cars and loved music, was trying to figure out how to put those things together, went to my first consumer electronics show in uh, 1987. So the one I just went to in January was my 34th consecutive consumer electronics show. So I've been doing this gig for a long time. Uh, went from car to home in, uh, I'd love to hear from some car audio guys out there. I know there's a lot of them in this industry. X yeah, car audio, X car audio guys. I'm guessing. So when you were doing car audio, like, is this is this in the years when you would like try to make cars really loud, or what? Like, what was the goal when you say you're like I? I didn't live through that age. I, I wasn't a part of the car audio scene. So what does it mean to be in the car audio scene? So the car audio scene back then was cell phones. So just go back and imagine a five thousand dollar cell phone and a fifteen hundred dollar month cell phone bill. And that was after, of course, pagers, of course. Doctors hold on to those a little bit longer. But uh, that was a big part of our business. And in the car audio piece, it just like it is what we do today, it's really about what the customer wants, right? So some of it, it was just about you know SPL, sound pressure level and volume. Some of them were about sound quality. Some of them were about making a killer system disappear. So it's very much the art and craft that we do today in homes and businesses. You know, do they want it? Do they want it loud? Do they want it to hidden? Do they, you know, is sound quality the most important thing? So every customer or client has their own shtick. And so it's, you know, that carried over. So from uh, 93, 94, got into home stuff. And that was the beginning of surround sound uh, and DVD and projectors that took three people to install up on a ceiling and hope you didn't drop it on your head. And, you, you know, you'd break everything and everyone. The, the big Runco projectors? Yeah, these were like military you know, it, it's like, you know, one of those old light bulb jokes, right? Like how many people does it take to hold it and screw it in? It literally took, you know, two guys to hold it up and one guy to, to put in the lag bolts to hold it, make sure that thing didn't come down. Wow. And, uh, you know, from there we got into commercial and it started out with audio video because that was my passion. But then builders wanted us to do structured wiring and security and they wanted, you know, one person to, 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 to do it all or, you know, one throat to choke as they call it. And uh, so I've heard you say that more than once. One, one, yeah. one choke. Are there, are there any marks? Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, and then over the years, um, you know, I, I built another company that we grew to, you know, three states and 100 employees and had some great success and learned some lessons about acquisitions and culture and what to do and definitely what not to do, right? I and mean, that's, you know, all of. All of my knowledge comes from, uh, I don't think any colleges would have accepted me. So uh, all of my knowledge comes from, uh, you know, hard work and uh, school and, of hard and, knocks and school of hard knocks and, and mistakes made. And then today, you know, why appliance started that in uh, 06. And so now we're at you know 14 years and have a fantastic team. And we have offices in Seattle and Scottsdale, have an electrical contracting company up here in Seattle as well. Um, and, uh, you know, it really comes down to the people, right? Building a great team and loving what we do. And I was reading some other articles about successful people and whether it's Bill Gates or still Steve Jobs or Warren Buffett or Elon Musk, the common trait was curiosity. 
So I know, like, you know, mm-hmm. as you and I have talked, right, you know, you're consuming all those podcasts just because of your thirst for knowledge. And so, uh, you know, I think I've always just been really curious about all this stuff and love the technology aspect. What type of work? So why clients? What are typical projects? Um, You know, there's a, a, although I call all the folks in our industry, you know, technology professionals or AV guys, the reality is you're all a little bit different in that you have different specialties and different kind of areas of focus. So what is the why appliance area of focus? What are the sweet spot for your types of projects? So, and the, the name why appliance came from wireless appliance because starting it, you know, 14 years ago, and I think I had reserved and trademarked the name, you know, two or three years before that, I really felt in the future, there would be so much more we could do wirelessly that would come out that wouldn't require new construction, hard wiring for us to do it. Um, so today our clients range from, um, you know, I know some people out there do, you know, only cost is no object projects or only six figure projects. And I would say we really kind of run the gamut direct to builder businesses only, uh, you know, is less than a third of our business. A commercial is about 25% of our business and the rest of it then is, you know, retrofit and direct to consumers. So I feel like, you know, we're, we're fairly balanced and that helped us through the recession. You know, I started that company right, you know, pre the recession before. And I think that kind of kept us agile to not be a hundred percent, uh, dependent in, in one vertical. So today we do anything from literally, you know, our requirement is that we're selling a complete solution. So if you want to buy, you know, a, a sound bar and a TV, you know, then we take care of that. And if you want to do a, you know, half a million, a million dollar project, we do that on that other side. Um, and we do, you know, MDU and high rise buildings. And so, you know, we're, you know, I think we kind of go soup to nuts in that category. Okay. And yeah, you actually mentioned a few things there that I know in my notes, I, I want to go a little bit deeper on. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it'll be fun. I promise. Okay. Uh, but I, I do want to give a few more opportunities for shout outs. We got a, a nicely active uh, crew watching and commenting live here. So we've got uh, Bobby uh, Dodge over at ProSource. Actually, I've got that as one of our topics. I want to talk to you about ProSource here uh, in this forum. But he says, uh, hi, Lee and Ron, two of the best in our industry. Looking forward to seeing you both in Vegas at the summit. And uh, for sure, Bobby. What's uh, up, Bobby? Likewise. That's, uh, that's just around the corner. What is it? Uh, not this Sunday I'll be heading out there, but on the 8th I'll be heading. When are you going down to Vegas? On the 6th. Oh, you're going early. Why are you going so early? Are you going for fun in Vegas a, for a few it's a, days? It's a weekend. It's Vegas. It's a, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need much of an excuse to go. That's a good point. All right. And, uh, so you're going to come, are you going to come in early now? I, well, I don't know. I've got to, th- I got to, I don't, I, maybe, I don't know. You put me on the spot here publicly. Maybe I'll think about it. Am I allowed to ask questions? You, you can ask questions. There's no, this is no holds barred here. Okay. Uh, well, speaking of which Chris Palmer just posted uh man that Lee Travis should be a model. Uh, he's not on every piece of CE branding, uh, how come, I think is what he meant to say was how come he's not on every piece of CE branding signage? I don't know. See that I see that that was borderline. That wasn't too bad. I did go ahead and read that one. We'll see if they get any more juicy, juicy as, yeah. as we go. Uh, and then we got Chris Gamble. He's watching from the UK and he gave us a, a bunch of one hundreds. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. So Lee, you, 
when in your when in the evolution of your business uh, being an entrepreneur, I heard 2006 is when you launched Y Pliance. When did the electrical contracting division come into being? Was it did it happen right at the same time, or did you evolve into also opening that division? So I did have some experience with electrical before in my previous company, uh, and so we started Obot Electric, which stands for On Budget On Time, in 2008. So two years later. It was just great planning on my, my part. I know we've talked before about businesses on the edge. So nothing like starting uh, an electrical contracting business right before construction comes to a screeching halt in 09. I, that's when I started my business entirely was right there perfectly in 08 to, to enter 09. So, yeah, I feel your pain. Let's just say it was touch and go. Uh, amen. From your mouth to God's ears. Isn't, wasn't that true? But you know what? It made us stronger, didn't it? It did for sure. There's no doubt about it. It's like, you, you know, you don't pray for hardships, but you're thankful on the other side. Now, I would imagine having an electrical contracting division enables you to maybe more seamlessly tackle certain types of projects. It does. Was that the, was that the philosophy and why to do that? was to give you, say, easier access or entry or maybe even get you in the door earlier into some types of projects? Well, I think it's easy in hindsight to come up with some great explanation for why you started something, sure. but it's not as fancy as all that. It was, it, it was, as you know, many solutions or companies come out of fixing a problem. So, you know, we're basically out installing a lighting control system and depending on other electricians, and they said they're going to be there on... Friday to put it all in and the customer's expecting to have this lighting control system for a party that weekend. And the electrician calls us and says they can't make it because they're still busy on another job. And literally it was at that moment where I was like, we need to have control of this piece of it to make sure that we can, you know, give our customers a complete solution. So it started out from a need of, you know, we need lighting control systems installed. We need power for projectors. We need power at TV locations. We need power for our equipment racks. And we just, you know, we need to, to control the customer experience. We need to bring that in-house. Do you, uh, I'm curious, if you don't mind, I'll dig a little deeper there. Um, like, say, let's say with lighting control. I, I know you're a big Lutron uh, reseller. You're a big, uh, you're close to Lutron. Um, they're a great company. And lighting control is important for your business, as mm -hmm. are lighting fixtures. The, you know, selling lighting fixtures is an important mm -hmm. part of your business. When you are securing a control project, so let's say you're selling a lighting control, Lutron lighting control system, will you then, as a part of your strategy, also sell the electrical services to you know, run the Romex or install the uh, lighting control and so that you're able to sell the hardware and the electrical labor? or And or sometimes do you find yourself selling the control and then partnering with whoever the contractors, electrical contractor is? It can kind of happen either way. So if we're on a project and the contractor has their favorite electrician and, you know, electrical has changed, you know, other than these recent advancements in lighting, electrical has changed very slow over the years. So there's lots of good electricians out there that do a great job. And so if the builder has an electrician they're in love with, we don't, you know, we don't try to upset that. We work with them and, you know, and try to build a great relationship. If they don't have someone or we're just coming in to install our stuff, uh, then obviously, you know, we refer that to our sister company, Obot Electric, to handle the installation of the lighting control and power needs and requirements. If, if, uh, if 
the client and or the builder is open to it, then we just we try to be selective about the jobs we take on. We're not trying to, you know, we're more of a boutique electrical shop. So we're not trying to take everything. We're really looking for, you know, the clients that want to do some great lighting, that want to do a great, you know, if they're just looking for the the, the cheapest price, then then we're not those guys. Got it. That, but if they that want somebody sense. who understands lighting and lighting control and, you know, and what all of that is, that's looking out for, you know, not doing outlets in tile if they can be done, you know, under cabinet or or in cabinet or on the sidewall, you know, making it look really clean. If you're just looking for a low price per square foot, then we're not those guys. What's your perspective? Because uh, you have a, a unique a unique vantage point as an integrator and as an electrician or electrical contracting business. What's your perspective on kind of this, um, what uh, appears to be this increasing rate of low voltage lighting fixture solutions. So there's all these LED uh, technologies coming out and there's even buzz or talk of maybe there'll be homes with no Romex pulled for lighting control. What, what do you, and I'm going to ask you to pull out your crystal ball a little bit. What do you think's coming down the road in that regard? That, that's a great question. And so I'm not an official knowledge source on this, but, but obviously we see those trends and we see, you know, we see it coming more from the vendor side than we see people asking about it. So there isn't a lot of consumer knowledge around this, but with some of the, you know, low voltage only lighting products out there, like, you know, color beam and some of that kind of stuff. I mean, they've proven that that technology can work and can be done over, you know, uh, cat or network cable. Um, you know, I think from what we've seen so far, there's still, and that part of the industry changes very slowly, right? So you're not just changing with electricians, but you're also changing with code and inspectors and all these things. I remember when we were doing Lutron lighting control and we were mixing high voltage and low voltage in the same box. And we literally always had to bring documents to say that it was legally okay and get it passed. That's uh, the same challenges today with this low voltage lighting. The, the electricians aren't sure about it. The clients are like, you know, do I feel safer to pull Romex and know that today or in the future I could do anything high voltage? And then there's obviously people that want to push the envelope that want to do the low voltage lighting. And then then once that has happened, then there's the inspectors. You know, are the inspectors comfortable with it? They want to see, you know, I mean, here's a fixture being powered off of a, a low voltage cable. They haven't seen that before. It's new to them. And so, they, you know, you've you got to kind of do those steps like we had to with lighting control in the, in the early years. As for long term, um, I mean, clearly every LED light is stepped down at some point to a lower voltage. So at some point, it does convert to a low voltage cable. There's a transformer in line. It's just where is it? Yeah. So today it could be six inches or 12 inches or six feet or 12 feet away. The difference is you're talking about, can it be? 80 feet away or 100 feet away, right? So that's that's where that technology is new. It's dropping down to low voltage at some point anyway. So it seems, uh, and, you know, there's always the question of where do we put these transformers and are they going to generate too much heat and are they going to be serviceable? You know, are they up in an attic space? Are they inside of a cabinet? Are they under a cabinet? Is it wet down there? Um, so, so those are all questions, but I see no reason why, and I know from the lighting vendors that I'm talking to, they're all trying to figure out same question, right? How important is that? Should we be developing a product like that? Um, and so I think it, you know, it's an open opportunity. Will it, will someday you end up with low voltage contractors pulling all that lighting? Will you someday you have a house that's all wired and low voltage? It's, it's really hard to tell, right? I mean, our computers today can plug into USB and power up. Our phones can, a lot of these devices can, but 
stoves can't, hair dryers can't, wash or you know, clothes dryers can't. So there's still a lot of things that require that that high voltage connection. So I think the one thing that's constant here that we've always seen is change. Right, right. Right. If you can't accept change, you shouldn't be in this industry playing ball. And to me, that's what makes it exciting. If it was the same thing every day, all year, year after year, to me, I don't think I'd be doing this because it's that curiosity. It's that change. It's what's coming next. What do we need to prepare for? What do we need to learn? I'll ask you the trick question. If you were going to build a new house uh, and you're building it next year, 2021, Mm -hmm. would you pull Romex to the lighting fixtures or would you pull uh, low voltage cable to the lighting fixtures? I would pull Romex to the lighting fixtures. Okay. Would you pull both or would you just pull Romex? Today, planning a house for 2021, I would pull Romex because it would leave me lots of options, right? Okay. That's fair. Because there's a lot of great product out there. I've got lots of choices that are electrically powered. I have limited choices that are low voltage powered. Now, obviously, for any of the, you know, I love layers of light. So, uh, you know, be able to do under cabinets and above cabinets and accent stuff. So for all that stuff that's already going to get stepped down to low voltage, running low voltage cable to it, I'd be fine. You mentioned um, Lutron, or I, you and I both mentioned Lutron, and, and Lutron last year, or maybe a couple of years ago now, it all blends together, acquired Ketra. And so I'm curious how the world of talking about uh, circadian rhythm lighting and tunable lighting um, what are you seeing out there? Cause that then ties into this conversation of wellness, mm-hmm. which is a growing theme, uh, in our industry and certainly in the marketing from the vendors to the dealers. I'm curious, are you seeing that now from the, from the dealers to the consumers down to the street level? And w- what do you believe is in our future in, on, with those products and, and categories? So, you know, with, with Lutron acquiring Ketra and with them essentially Lutronizing it, which means to, to make something that's of their quality standard and scalable. Uh, I mean, honestly, at the Cedia show, it, you know, that's been, you know, people said, hey, what, I come back from the show and they're like, what's the best thing you saw? That's been the most impressive thing I have seen by far. We have just, it's not completed because we're still furnishing it and doing the AV stuff, but we've just completed a Ketra showroom uh, here in Bellevue, Seattle area, for those of you that, that don't know the area. Um, and it's exciting. I mean, I've seen it, obviously, in uh, client projects, and I've seen it, obviously, at trade shows. But to have it here and be able to show people... Now, once again, I don't think there's a ton of consumer knowledge. We're not getting a lot of them asking about it. But you know who's excited about it is the trades, the interior designers and the architects and the builders that are you know, leaning in um, they're interested and excited and they're, you know, uh, you know, you could ask Melissa from our office. They're, they're beating down the door to, uh, and who knows, maybe Melissa will pop on here with some, some video of some of that stuff. Um, sure. cause that, that space is, you know, in the process of it, like it literally just got carpeted this week, but it's, you know, we've already shown it to people and they're super impressed. Now, is it for everybody's budget? No. And is everybody going to put it in every room? No, but you know, it's, it's a glimpse of where the technology is going for sure. And so those that want the best, it's, it's impressive what you can do with it. I mean, it's. I, I remember vividly this past CDF uh, going through the Lutron Ketra demo and uh, uh, it was, it was a fantastic demonstration. And I can imagine the design community going through something like that and, and certainly being impressed and finding ways to 
really perhaps in a superior way highlight their architecture or their design and their spaces through the use of tunable lighting. So I'm I'm with you. I agree. Because well, we went through such a bad phase with LEDs, right? So to me, I compare it to, to music, right? So we started sinning and compressing our music down to the smallest possible file so that we could get as, you know, a thousand songs in a little shuffle, right? And so, you know, now we've gone the other way, all the way back to high-res audio and opened that up. We did the same thing with lighting. We were like, let's save energy. So we came up with these ugly, compact, fluorescent lights that looked terrible, made you look terrible, made everything look terrible. And then blue and green LEDs. And now, you know, to me, Ketra is the equivalent of high-res audio. But now there's also a lot of other great products from vendors like WAC and DMF and American and those guys that's, you know, at different price and performance points. But now where you can get some really good-looking, you know, LED with warm dim and, you know, then obviously step up into the, the color changing stuff. That's a great comparison, by the way. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, and so Melissa, if you're listening and Jordan, that should be some blog content for why clients, cause that, that was good stuff right there. That was a great comparison. Great analogy. Um, there are quite a few more comments here, so I'm just going to read a few of them to you. <laughs> I don't know if Melissa is going to be one of them showing off any of that. Yeah. Melissa yeah. should be posting, uh, that, that reference you made for sure. But Chris, uh, Palmer, says, in all seriousness, Lee is exceptional at what he does. He's been a great leader in ProSource, a great friend and mentor. As the line between high voltage and low voltage continues to blur, Lee's intuition in having both businesses already solidified will continue to pay dividends. So there you have a, a believer in your philosophies. And then we have a question here actually from Jordan. He says, uh, one thing that stands out to me about why appliance is how it has locations in both Washington and Arizona. I'm curious to know how that happened and what Lee sees as the biggest challenges of trying to grow his business in two different locations. Because that, uh, let's say two different locations that are not close to each other. Obviously, that's not a car drive away. That's a, you're jumping on an airplane to go to a different market. Um, so that, that, that's an interesting question. You are operating in Arizona and Seattle. Um, how did you decide to do that? So Jordan, that's, that's a great question. And once again, I just think, uh, you know, and I know Ron, you and I've talked about this kind of stuff before. It's like, you know, the stuff on how a company gets started or how close to the edge it gets at one point or some of those things. I think people really love to hear those stories, right? So there could certainly be a story that's, you know, magnificent about the you know the opportunity in the arizona market and the growth in the valley and all those kinds of things or, or there's this one that is you know we had a lot of clients down there because if you're from seattle and you have the kind of weather that i'm looking at outside which is cloudy and overcast expected rains scottsdale is uh, a nice place to be yeah scottsdale arizona area is is a great place to be with 330 days of sun and so if clients can afford a second home it's either going to be a mountain home or it's going to be a sunshine home and if it's sunshine and you're traveling from Seattle, like for you guys on the East Coast, it's going to be Florida or the Bahamas or something like that, uh, South Carolina maybe. Here in Washington, it's going to be Palm Springs or you know Scottsdale, Arizona. It could be California if you have other business or another reason to be there. So we were already going down there to take care of clients' homes and projects that were from uh, from up here. Is that and a common vacation spot? So people, the, the tech industry or whoever lives in Seattle, they'll often buy a second home down in the Seattle market, or not Seattle, but Scottsdale market? Absolutely. So we have a lot of clients that have homes there, homes in Palm Springs and, and in California. So um, when you have that relationship with a client and they trust you, 
um, they would rather just bring you down to do the same thing in their new home or property down there and, and manage and take care of it all. And then I, and because of my car audio background, a lot of the car audio manufacturers are there, you know, Rockford, Fosgate and Orion. And a lot of these guys came from that space. And so from going there in the, in the eighties, I just remember, you know, having this crappy weather in Seattle and you'd have this amazing predictable sunshine down in Arizona. And so the question is, you know, how can I spend some more time down there? So we would do clients projects down there and then builders would say, Hey, if you were here more, I'd use you more. And, you know, it just one thing grew grew to another and now you're operating in two markets. Bam. Bam. As far as as the challenges, it is, you know, for, for clients going to enjoy their second home, it's a, you know, two hour and 15 minute flight. So that part is, is, is easy. Whereas some people would expect us to grow to somewhere like Portland, right? Which would be an adjacent market to Seattle. Um, but you know, going down to the desert, it definitely has its challenges and starting in a new market, a new business where you just kind of have just a handful of existing clients and, and relationships. It's tough to build something from scratch like that in another market. And I know, uh, you know, uh, Ryan's doing that, uh, Oh oh, no, one of our signs just just Uh, collapsed. (laughs) I didn't tape those up there for the record though. Oh, that, all right. That was not your tape. That was clearly Chris Palmer's tape. That's what that was. No, Chris is fantastic, but it's, uh, there's definitely challenges and you know, I'm always, you know, I get other dealers asking me those questions. Hey, we're thinking about opening. And I know there's a bunch of East coast dealers that have businesses down in Florida for the same reason. Right. But it's, you know, it, it has all the challenges of opening a second location plus logistics. And so it's, you know, it's a big learning curve. And so to build something from scratch is both exciting in the same way that when we started Y Pliants 14 years ago, it was like, you know, you're in the trenches, you know, fighting, scrapping for every piece. Um, and so to go do that new market has both been exciting and exhausting at the same time. Yeah. It's hand to hand combat. It'll be like when you open your West coast operation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, fortunately I, I moved in 2015 to virtual. So I have a West, I have people in LA, I have people in Colorado, you know, you name it. I've got, you know, we're, we're now at what 41 people and they all work from home offices. So it's, I guess in that respect, I have 41 offices. There you go. So uh, funny comment here uh, from uh, the one and only Mark Fisher. He says, uh, is Lee Travis paying Chris Palmer? No, I think they just, I think they like each other, Mark. I think that's what it is. I think that's okay. Chris is uh, is fantastic and a fellow member of ProSource. And I know Bobby was on there earlier and, you know, ProSource is a buying group on the, on the surface gives us buying power is, you know, $20 billion in combined uh, you know, buying power. But what it really is, is it's relationships with, uh, you know, guys like you and guys like Mark and guys like Bobby and Chris that have been on there so far, um, but really made up of the best dealers around the country. So uh, I would, you know, be part of it and, I, and I'm on committees and that kind of stuff to give back because it's really those relationships with these guys and gals, you know, where you go there and learn, you know, and can ask questions from other dealers in other markets or other dealers in adjacent markets what would uh, you say, Lee, to the, you know, if there's about, I'm going to say approximately a thousand dealers in some group, okay? okay, which means there's, depending on who you talk to, north of 10,000 that are not in any group. What would you say to those not in a group about why they should be in ProSource or in some other group? Like, what are the- What are you big, doing? What are you doing, man? It's just- I just don't, you know, I mean, now not everybody can become a, you know, a pro source member. So you have to apply and you have to, you know, have a, a, you know, a real business that that takes care of real clients that does quality work. So, you know, that part gets vetted. 
But if you can join ProSource, and obviously there there are other buying groups out there. We just spent a bunch of time to to really interview and decide which group we want to be part of. And then I asked myself the question, why hadn't we, you know, I think we've been members for 10 years, 10 of those 14 years. But then I just kicked myself for not joining earlier because the, the you know, the, the buying power that you get makes us competitive with big box retailers. So for our customers, that that's the advantage that, you know, I'm on a TV, I'm, you know, we're the same price as, as Best Buy is, right? So that buying power makes us competitive. But that's not even the most important thing. It's the things I learned from the other dealers, those manufacturers and times with other relationships, them putting the relationships together. I mean, that's where I met you through. And so, you know, as a group, um, you know, we find solutions and can put something together on a, on a scale that I couldn't not individually. But at the end of the day, the single most important benefit would be the relationships and the things that I learned, you know, from the other members. All right. I uh, believe it or not, we've been recording for almost 40 minutes. And I, I still have so many questions I want to ask you uh, here on the show. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to try to knock through some of these. Speed um, round. Just in my last show, show 99, okay. I interviewed uh, Caesar and he's uh, our EOS traction implementer coach here at one firefly. And so we did a little session on EOS traction, which is, um, the, the process and the operating system that we are now implementing here at one firefly to try to be a better business. And I, I actually just in riffing with you before we went live, I didn't know this you're, you're interacting with EOS traction in some way, or are you, what, what's your experience there? But we, we are. And I didn't, you know, uh, I didn't realize how many other people were talking to, you know, Noah, Leon, they've been doing it for six or seven years. And until we talked earlier, I didn't know you guys were doing it. So, you know, EOS is entrepreneurs operating system. But, you know, as your company grows and you have these growing pains, whether they be from having three companies or two locations or just growth and scale, you have growing pains, right? So, uh, you know, what's the medicine you take for that? We, you know, I think you have to be open and willing to learn. And so we had our leadership team um, read the book over the holidays. And then we got together as a team and said, hey, do we think this is something that will make a difference in our business, talking about these things, implementing these things. And so um, it's made a huge difference just since the first of the year in uh, metrics and KPIs that we're beginning to not do, you know, just start to measure and just see what's happening with those things. And really, you know, being honest with ourselves because you, you know, you can obviously speak for yourself, but you read that book and you're like, oh my gosh, we have all these problems, right? And yes. then you read the second half of the book and you're like, oh my gosh, everybody has lots of problems. The biggest companies, I mean, I know people that work for Fortune 100 companies. And when I hear about some of the stuff that goes on, you're thinking you wouldn't think that happens in a Fortune 1 company. You just realize that all companies have issues and they stem from humans more than likely and yep. growing pains and... The nice thing is it gives you a plan and a method on how to begin that improvement and that there's no expectation that you're going to get all those things perfected overnight. But for us, you know, we've hit different ceilings along the way and, um, you know, we're, we're building for the future. And you are self. So in the EOS traction world, you can self implement or you can hire an implementation coach. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't so confident in my ability to self-implement. So I hired the, the, the implementor that is working with us as we're getting our training wheels or we're, we're riding with our training wheels through this process. 
Um, did you choose to do the implementer coach or are you self-implementing? We have had great success so far self-implementing by at our, our meeting, uh, our meetings along the way, you know, you know, obviously the book talks about, you know, setting up two days where your whole team goes off site. We weren't able to do that. So we've had, you know, six, four hour meetings, uh, away from the office that, you know, we, we have a moderator set that's cracking the whip to make sure we stay on time and on schedule. And so far we've had good success with that. So I guess I would liken that to the gym membership. There's two approaches, one that hires a trainer, right? Because they know that they're not going to be disciplined enough to do it. And then there's the next one that gets accountability partners. Um, and so everyone in our group is holding everyone else accountable. There's six of us on the leadership team that are driving these things forward. Are you holding your L10 meetings every week? We are. Yep. Yeah. How, how just, are you, how are you digging the L10 meeting? Well, let's not, just not say to geek out too much, but yeah, they're, they're not down to 90 minutes yet. We're still having, you know, because we weren't able to have a two day offsite with everyone initially, we did these four hour meetings. So we're still having those until we get to a point. We feel like we can cut that down. And, you know, as you know, from your business, it's one of those things that you feel like you don't have time for, but then once you start doing it, you're like, we don't have time not to, right? Because you we're making, yeah. You, you don't know. have time not to. I mean, you and I talked to lots of business owners in many different capacities. And I think the most powerful thing I've learned over the years, one is how much I, the older I get, I realize the less I know. And I realize there's just so much power in stepping away from the business and working on the business as opposed to just being busy. It's very easy to be busy. It's, very uh, easy. And it's different to work on the business than in the business. And so, you, you know, your mind tells yourself you don't have the time, but it's like, you could say you don't have time to go to the gym either, right? But then when you go and you start seeing those improvements, which is where we're at today, yeah. then you're like, we're sticking with this gym thing. No, I dig it. All right. I'm going to go back. I'm changing topics totally. So my okay. audience is going to go, what is he doing? <laughs> All right. 5G is clearly on the horizon and it's clearly going to affect us in some way. Uh, Melissa even tried to keep me on track here and posted this question. How do you feel about 5G? Thank you, Melissa. I appreciate that. Thanks, but, Melissa. So that's what's like her keeping me on track all the time. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> she helps us both. So I'm, we're sharing in that in that attention. Um, and and I, I'm going to even further geek out. So I'm a T-Mobile phone user. That's my phone company. I just got my new iPhone 11. And on the T-Mobile website, they now have Bill Nye, the science guy, educating on 5G and even the different types of 5G because there's short wave, medium wave, long wave, lots of different ramifications in terms of the reach of that signal into the home. This is clearly going to disrupt our industry in many ways, I would think. What What is your kind of vision of how that's going to happen? So disclaimer, I'm by no means a 5G expert. I mean, I've definitely checked it out at, at CES and some other seminars and what manufacturers are working on uh, behind the scenes. And, you know, its standards are just, you know, being set. Um, but when you see what its capability is that, you know, today, everything we do requires a hub or a processor, whether that's your home network. And, and obviously, you know, like we said earlier, I mean, that's the exciting part about this industry is that it's always changing, right? So to stay with it, you've got to be, you know, paddling out to that front edge of the wave, which can both be scary and exhilarating. And that's the, that, that's the part that I love about it. But as you get out of that front of that wave and you should look at it, you're like, wait, this doesn't require, you know, we weren't even doing networks 10 years ago. Now it's one of the single most important things to the reliability of our system is that network backbone. I mean, and you know that from owning a business to your office, if your network goes down, 
everything's down. There's no automation unplugged. There's nothing. Yeah. (laughs) So with 5G, to be able to communicate device to device, and I know, uh, you know, Verizon, AT&T hold the most amount of licenses, followed by Dish, followed by the new combined T-Mobile Sprint. So that will tell you the kind of multi-billion dollar investments these companies have made in licenses. But the the device to device communication, not having to go through, you know, so for that motion detector to be able to talk to that keypad, to talk to that, uh, you know, network device sensor, to talk to this computer without having to have a hub in between that talks to another hub. That, you know, it's basically translating English to German and German to French and French to Spanish and and so forth. Right? We have all this these devices in between to basically translate um, once everything's on one. Um, you know, central platform and can communicate 5G to 5G, uh, I think it's going to explode what the market is. So the question is, you know, will will the market be ready? Will the dealers be ready? You know, how will that roll out? What will vendors develop? But it's definitely going to change the market and provide an opportunity for some and and lose others, which is kind of how this industry has gone over time, right? Do you, you think we'll see it talked about more i'll just say at the upcoming you know there's all the the buying group show season here over the next couple of months and then of course back you know down in uh what september we'll have cedia i mean do you think we're going to start to see this being talked about in in vendor booths i think it's still too too i think it's still too early i think you know is this you know three years away before we start seeing devices in our industry i think probably so but i'm not an expert right and real you know full implementation, you know, five to 10 years. I mean, if you look at how long it took to go to HD and took to go to 4K and some of these other technologies, right? And it requires, you know, not just our stuff, but content, you know, it requires multiple parties and standardization of platforms. Uh, I just, you know, I think it's a future opportunity that, that scales out our business to a larger market, right? So that's the, I think that's the opportunity. And I think it'll be exciting both for dealers and for consumers. And it has huge implementation, obviously, outside of our industry in terms of safety, you know, car-to-car communication and car-to-cell phone communication. And Am I remembering correctly that there's some talk that it changes the role of the network in the home? If, if to the example you gave a moment ago, where at the moment every uh, IOT device in your house with an IP address needs to go through the hub or the net, the local network uh, switcher network in your house and then get reported up. Is it with 5G that now we're talking about every device potentially just directly through that high speed, high bandwidth link reporting to cloud-based processors? So does it change the architecture of the network in the home or is it yet to be seen? I'm going to say yes to, to both. I, it, for sure, it will change the architecture, right, just in its communication. Um, but I do think, you know, there's going to be other questions like security, right? Today, you use your network as a firewall and as security for, for your business and for your home. So how will all these devices remain secure, right? And that's, that's one of our clients' most important questions these days is about security, right? Like, it's great I have these cameras and I have all this other stuff, but how do we keep all this stuff secure? Try to keep it safe. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch topics one more time, and I, I'm gonna actually put up on the screen. Uh, see if technology behaves. Your website, and so uh, yeah, there we go. We got to shift a little bit, so we're on camera. There you go. There, there you go. And so, 
you're when you and I um, met each other a number of years ago now, what I what I discovered in your business and in your brand is this strong affinity and appreciation a for marketing, but video, the use of video in your storytelling as you're talking about your business, your brand, your offering. Where did that come from? Because uh, the videos, these are all, I mean, I, I had nothing to do with this. This is all you and your team producing just fantastic content um, representing deployments of technology, both commercially and residentially. Where, where did you learn to do that or know to do that? Can you talk to us? Well, I mean, as you know from this industry and everything that you do in a marketing standpoint, right, that, that you can certainly tell a story and then, if, you know, if a picture is worth a thousand words, then a video is worth a million words. I mean, today, if you look at, I mean, other than our discussion about, uh, you know, podcasts, so you can drive down the road or run or walk your dogs in your case or whatever and listen to and consume content for the curious mind, um, you know, there's a ton of content, whether it's binge watching TV shows or, you know, ads or whatever that is, you know, video, right? So it's, it's you know, you can instead of telling the message, you can show the message. And so we just thought video was the, the future frontier of, you know, communication with people. I mean, Why do you think more company, your peers, your friends at ProSource, your, your friends around the country, your, your competitors, why do you think more of our industry doesn't utilize video? Because it's not easy. Okay, so tell us about that. How do you do it? How do you do what you do? I know it's hard. So How do you make just, that happen? It's just like you, you know, when, when you launched this show, right, it wasn't easy and it takes time and you just determine that over time that's going to pay off. Uh, same thing for us with video. <clears throat> you know, most dealers, as you know, don't even take enough pictures of projects, right? So I'm sure when you're putting their marketing stuff together, you're like, all right, let us know what you have for pictures and you're helping to supplement. Usually with, met with silence after we ask for that content, like, are you still there? Hello? Yeah. Now, Ron, we'll just use your stuff or we'll use the vendor stuff. That's usually the response we get. So, and, and, you know, everybody's busy, right? And so you're, you know, going from one job to the next job and getting your customer taken care of, but taking time to, to stop and take a photo and then, you know, video though, it, it's, you know, a much stronger message as you know, from doing this show live, right. It's, it's also more work to shoot a video because you have to say, you know, what is it we're shooting? What's the message? Uh, the content, the editing. Now, you know, so we've got a great team with, you know, from Melissa who chimed in earlier uh, to, you know, we've used some different video people, but we've landed on somebody who helps out. And video also is not inexpensive. And so we've just tried to kind of find that peak of the value curve in terms of capturing the video. Some of it can be done, you know, over a phone, but most of the stuff we try to do is professional. And, you know, we were having a meeting yesterday. We've got, you know, six or seven things in the can already. They either need editing or need some more shots or whatever. And so you're just trying to push forward to get those things complete. But that's a great business card for us to put out there to send a video because most other people don't have it. And the customer, we could talk to them for two hours. Or they could watch, you know, a couple minute video and, and they get it. And can so... At a high level, because I'm just mindful of time, and I, I know that we're going to quickly go over time. I, I could. Uh, is that normal, or is that? It's 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 not normal, but okay. uh, there's a lot of fun things for us to talk about. So I uh, I appreciate you spending time with uh, me and my audience. Uh, 
Two quick things. One is how, as you enter into, let's just use the, the most recent, the current year, 2020, when you're working with your leadership team, how do you think about, and this is the quite I don't know what you're going to say, um, but I think that whatever you're going to say, I want everyone to listen to. And that is, how do you think about the budgeting of developing your your forecast for 2020 in terms of you know revenue and expenses and i want to zero down to that expense line item called marketing how do you think about what type of money not what are you going to do not who are you going to spend it with but how do you define or think about correlating budgets for expenses like marketing um, based on the outcomes that you hope to achieve in that year do you have is there a system to it or is it um, is it less sophisticated than that? Um, so I'd say, you know, if, if I take us back to the previous recession that we talked about a minute ago, is that we're going to have another recessionary period, right? Is it this year with election? Is it next year? But historically, we're due, right? Even with the recent stock market, you know, thousand point drop, we're still extremely high, right? Real estate is extremely high. Right. So it's not if, it's when. And so what we learned last time is that, you know, by investing in marketing early, and as you may or may not see from your clients, it, a lot of them, you know, it's hard to get them to even invest in marketing. Because in this industry, if you're good and you've got some client relationships and some builder relationships, you're like, hey, we're busy. What do I need any marketing for, right? So the reasons you need marketing is what if the market changed and you weren't busy or what if... Uh, you wanted to grow your business, right? If you want to grow from a million to two or two to four or four to six, right? That's, you know, companies that market, uh, you know, and you're much more knowledgeable in this space than I am, but companies that market, market to either grow their business to gain market share or to keep from losing market share. Um, and so dealers in our space, um, because it's so trade and skill dependent, not, not everyone has to market, right? But people might be comfortable and they might be fine, but if they want to grow their business or they want to, be able to grow or build market share. You know, we grew every year during the recessionary period, but we marketed every year during the recessionary period, and we marketed before the recessionary period, and we marketed after the recessionary period. And How did so, you know to do that? Because that, when you read the textbooks, that is the right thing to do. It's also the opposite of the knee-jerk reaction most small business owners have when conditions around them uh, become scary, they will often go, all right, let's huddle up. What can we cut? And, and marketing and a few other categories are often things that are easy to slash. What you're espousing or what you practiced back in 09 and 10 and 11 and 12, uh, that was before you and I met, many decade before we met. How did you know to do that? Did you, had you read the right book? Had you surrounded yourself with the right advisors or mentors that helped you understand that? Or was it just your common sense? Well, like you, I consume a lot of knowledge because I'm curious and hungry. So whether that's books or magazines or seminars or whatever. So I don't, you know, I don't know how many original thoughts I've had, right? They're all combinations of things that I've learned from thought leaders like yourself or other people in the industry or marketing events and coming from the car audio background, which is retail, you have to market in that space to, to get people. Now, not to date myself, but those were yellow page ads. Those were newspaper ads. Those were, you know, and, and we did events back then. We did car audio competition events and 
and tent sales and all sorts of creative ways to try to kind of drive business. So I would just say it's just from years of hard knocks of books of talking thought leaders, you know, to, to, you know, come up with, you know, what those things are. And then, as you know, some marketing is trial and error, right? It's different in each space. It's different in each market. Everything and doesn't work for everybody. If it was that work simple, for everybody, everybody would have magical, perfect marketing. Well, and, and if you're like, hey, what's the 80-20 split on this, right? Like, I want to put all my money into the 20% of marketing that actually works. The problem is, even today with online and lead sourcing or whatever, it's hard to tell, you know, exactly what that 20% of your budget is. Some things are really clear and obvious, like this brought us these leads and is really clearly working. But some of the other stuff is just is about long-term seed planning. So, you know, just because you're full from dinner doesn't mean you don't sow seed in your field, right? Right. Those seeds are for tomorrow and next month and next crop and next, you know what I mean? Melissa, are you listening, Melissa? That was a good one. Grab that one. I see that on an Instagram post. That was a quotable. <laughs> Sorry. But, it, you know, it's about sowing seed over a long period of time to grow, right? And it's hard to have a steady hand when you want to cut that line item. It can be hard to say, gosh, should we keep doing this? Um, and then obviously, we, you know, we, you, you got to look for that feedback loop and see, you know, what's working and what's not working. And some of it is just trying new things, right? We have... We're changing some of our event format this year to try some new and different things with some vendor-only events. Where in the past we've done, you know, these evening of technology and stuff would include all of our vendors, right? So we're, you know, we're trying some new and different things to see, you know, like like we're not running yellow page ads anymore is what I'm saying. So I know that I want to have you back on to talk about your events, event-based marketing. Uh, I mean, one Firefly, our agency doesn't currently operate in that domain, but I think event-based marketing is one of the best types or forms of marketing our channel could do as it relates to interacting with your customers, prospects, and the design community. Jordan, you may um, want to write that down. Yeah. I, Jordan, make, <laughs> make that happen and uh, get us get us connected again to do that. But I, I do want to close on this, uh, Lee, because I, I am mindful of everyone's time. Uh, and that is, I, I just had it on the screen here. And uh, I go, of course, I want to congratulate you on winning CTA Integrator of the Year back in 2019. And that was a year ago. But how, how um, what did that mean to you when you won that? And you, you, you were, I think Sean out of Colorado is the most recent winner. And so you were the, the winner. I think he even called you out on stage, if I remember Sean's speech. Um, he, he, he did. He th- first of all, thank you for thanking us, and second of all, that was so last year. Um, ah, but I just want to know for twenty twenty. What, what did that mean to you to win that? And then the last question to tie in that is just those are folks are listening that are trying to grow their business. I'd love if you'd offer a, a seed or two of wisdom of things they should maybe focus on that would help them grow. Because to be to be integrator of the year in a in a national global organization. I mean, that's, that's not a small thing. So, so first of all, that after going to, you know, 34 last year with 33 consecutive consumer electronics show to win an award like that from the CTA integrated of the year um, was very humbling. Was, was it an award for going to the most shows in a row? It was not because oh. I have, there's, there's actually some people that are up in the 40 plus year range. So, uh, wow. you know, though I'm getting up there, it's going to take maybe another decade before I knock some of those people out. Sure, but uh, it, it was very humbling to do that, and we have a fantastic team. So that's really, you know, the, the the secret, you know, behind our success. And 
And Sean, who is uh, my hero, uh, did did try to throw some embarrassment and shame on stage. And we've built a great friendship over the years. And he's another pro source relationship. And uh, Lance Anderson would admit one. He's probably, you know, their company is probably the most award winning that I know. And he's always like, dude, you got to enter these awards. You, you, you don't enter, you're not going to win. Right? right. And it's it's one of those things like your marketing that you put effort into and you can't see, you can't correlate. Oh, this lead came because go at that award. But you know, when you visit Lance out at their showroom or you see their, you know, their stuff, you're like, wow, these guys are the bomb. I was just clean. watching Lance on Facebook this morning, scrolling through my newsfeed, and he had a video up talking about, uh, talking about something, but I found myself two minutes in watching his full video. It's funny. Yeah. So that's him, them doing that, that seed planting. Um, and so, you know, I mean, obviously you, you've got to do good work to go submit, to go get good awards. But I mean, that that's an area where, you know, we talk is that about your it. advice for those listening is to enter, enter to win. I mean, you, if you want to play, you, you got, if you want to win, you got to play for sure about it. But I mean, as, as part of the marketing thing overall, you've really got to be, you know, have a strategy, have someone that can help you put that strategy together and be working on all these things. So it's not just the videos and it's not just the events. Both of those, I think are two great things. Take video of your work. I've seen some great stuff out there just off technician cell phones or other dealers, you know, doing live shots from, from stuff, right. You know, and a lot of people are nervous about doing it. Um, you know, hey, but, but- pro, pro tip here. Actually, it's not a, is an amateur tip, but, uh, the new iPhone 11 shoots 4k 60 frame a second video. Uh, check it out on YouTube. If you don't have, it shoots gorgeous video. This video off this phone would be better than, uh, what currently exists in most integrators portfolios for, for video content. Yeah, that's a, that's a low cost way to get into it. I mean, we're, we can probably get a shot of this, right? Oh, look at that. That's all right. We got to screen capture that. That's good. That just, you you must've just that FedEx hat. that this morning. It just got from Florida to Seattle, like, like, like right here. How's that? I, it does. Yeah. Don't put that on eBay. That'll go for at least, you know, hey, maybe look, eight, look, look, $8. Yeah. Look what else just showed up too. All right. Let's see it. Oh, that's not. Yeah, we don't oh, wear do you, too many do you, of those. Do you wear it in the front? This is up in Seattle. It's cold up here. So you yeah, I was gonna say it was funny. I we just did these for our team at in the at the January sideways. Is that all right, or do you need to be logo first? Oh, yeah, yeah. Good. You know, you're you're playing it. You know, SoCal style. Got to you know be hip. Oh, what? And what? he's bleeding green. All right, that is that. You, that's... you can put a question on your show and see if people watch to the end or not. See if they see the what, how what, many pieces what was the branding of moment? gear. Did Lee pull out in the show? And that'll tell us how long they watched. There you go. Well, Lee, it was uh, an absolute pleasure, sir, uh, sir, having you on uh, episode 100. This was, uh, this was a big deal. It was uh, a long time and a lot of hard work getting here. I've got to thank my team. Uh, I've got a lot of people working behind the scenes. Uh, in particular, I'll call out uh, Stephanie and Allison and Elizabeth and John and Kendall, uh, they all have a role in these shows, uh, ultimately from getting guests onto the show, to getting the interviews done, to getting post-production done, to getting it out on social media, to getting it up on the website, to getting the transcripts done, to interacting with the audio engineers. There's a lot of work that happens to get this done every every uh, week. And, uh, and so I wanna give them a shout out and uh, I wanna give you a shout out for, for being our special guest here on show 100. Well, thank you for having us on and I'll do a shout out to uh, Melissa, our marketing manager who 
works with your team all the time, as you know, and on your team, uh, Jordan and Kendall, you know, absolutely kick butt for us. So I don't know if they're listening or not, but uh, they, they do a great job. Uh-oh, I'm getting some comments. People are saying they want the beanie. So we'll, we'll have to see. But uh, Lee, my friend. So, so, hey, where can they find these things? You know, those are limited. Where, 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 do you, where do you buy one of these at? Those are, you become a one Firefly customer and we'll talk. How's that? <laughs> oh, you got some more. Look at that, man. They sent you all. The, did you get the koozie too? Did Did you get the koozie? Man, we send you we sent you all the goods. Good job, Vanessa. Well, I, I forgot to give the shout out to Vanessa. So go, Vanessa. You got the bookmarks. I, I think we sent you our whole inventory. Those are all of our uh, one Firefly branded goods. Well, uh, my friend, appreciate Thanks you. To one hundred. To one hundred. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Automation Unplugged. For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head over to our website at onefirefly.com forward slash AU. There you'll find links to all transcripts, show notes, Facebook Live recordings, and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please follow us on social media. We are at One Firefly LLC on all platforms. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.